Welcome to another episode of Lesson, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on my podcast that are in my home, we've been doing so many of these remote, it's actually great to have someone in our home, are my friends Sam and Autumn Duke. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. I became aware of the Dukes um, when I was scrolling social media around the Give Thanks which is a wonderful effort from our church to give thanks for families. and But not everybody has a family or has a traditional family background. And I became, I saw Autumn's um, Facebook post, and it just talks about the realities of her family. Um, just by more background, Sam and Autumn Duke um, live in Riverton. South Jordan. South Jordan. Got you in the... Um, our parents... <laughs> Close. Have, we grew up in Riverton. Grew up in Riverton, live in South Jordan, active in the church, um, but not always active. They both come from families that weren't always active, and their own journey was not to be always active. But Sam served a mission in Detroit, serves in his bishopric, but they're a couple that's kind of connected with the realities of families that aren't always active or always don't always feel like they belong. And the podcast will they just talk about their family situations growing up and how um, they've had parents that have died early. We'll talk about that. They'll talk about Elder Renlin um, and his talk and thoughts about suicide. Um, they'll talk about hope. But they'll just talk about the realities that every family doesn't fit this perfect mold. And that gives me back to um, Autumn's Facebook post that I became aware of, of just the realities of, of her family growing up and bravely talking about her family. And I thought we would just start the podcast with Autumn reading that Facebook post from November of 2020. Is that okay? Yes, I can definitely do that. Thank you. Um, and I just want to start by Good. saying thank you for having us. We are so excited. Um when you initially reached out to me to do this podcast, uh, I was just over the moon with excitement and also a little bit of fear, but also ultimately I just feel honored to be here. We've been following you for a while now and um, we just absolutely love the work that you're doing. It really speaks to us and um, we've shared it with a lot of people as well with really great impact and uh you can tell that it is needed and it's life-changing. And I think in a lot of cases, even maybe life-saving as well. So thank you so much. Thank um, you, Autumn. And really, actually, the reason that I, I wrote this post uh, back, so go back to November, you know, and we've been asked by President Nelson to hashtag give thanks and to express our gratitude on social media. And I started out and I think I, I did two posts where, you know, I posted a cute picture of my husband. And the next day I posted this cute picture of my family and expressing gratitude for the things that I, you know, feel the most thankful for in my life. And, and then I woke up and I saw a post from you and you said something to the effect of, you know, how you just, you felt for people that might not have those family pictures to post and how you just had compassion for them. Um, and then later that day, it was a Sunday, uh, my Good Relief Society president also brought up the same kind of idea of, you know, we need to have compassion for people that their social media flood or their social media feed is being flooded with images of, you know, happy families and vacations or just different things that people are grateful for that they might not have that. 
And um, I went home that day and I just sat down at the computer and started writing. I just felt really inspired to be vulnerable, which is something I've been working on and um, kind of wrote out this post. And so I'll read that now, uh, as you've and asked me to do. tell us the name of your release society present. Um, her name is Brandy Lee. And she Brandy Lee. is amazing. She's awesome. She is so awesome. She's absolutely what our ward needs and what every ward should have. So, um, so the post is, starts this, it's to everyone who feels sad, triggered or marginalized by this hashtag give thanks challenge. I see you and I feel for you. I've been loving all the posts the last few days. I felt like the expressions of gratitude flooding my feed were a breath of fresh air for 2020, but it was brought to my attention by two different sources that not everyone feels the same as I do. It's a privilege to have happy pictures of my family to post that not everyone can share in. And I was reminded that I can relate. My dad was a really good man. He was kind, gentle, down to earth, goofy, and endearing in every sense of the word. He was also haunted by some serious demons and turned to alcohol and drugs to numb the pain of trauma and mental illness. I grew up alternating between great times filled with camping, family bike rides, Mario Kart marathons, having him coach my soccer team, to times when he would relapse and our family outings were AA meetings or visits with him in rehab or jail. I also grew up in Riverton, Utah, where 99% of people were white, Mormon, privileged folks with seemingly perfect families. Um, I realize now that there is no such thing, but it certainly seemed to me then. When I was 14, he died from complications after a car accident caused by drinking and driving. That's when all of the practically perfect families around me really stung. The church focuses a lot of attention on families, and rightfully so. Families are definitely important. But for me, there was a period of time where I couldn't bring myself to go to church because it was just too much to hear all the rhetoric about families when mine felt so broken and the gaping hole left by my dad was still excruciating. Social media didn't exist then. This was in 2013. But if it had, and everyone was posting pictures of their families, it would have been extremely hard for me to see. After a miscarriage that I had a few years ago, photos of babies were triggering. If you find yourself in a family situation that is less than ideal, if you are in the thick of grief, loneliness, or any variety of sadness, all the pictures of happy, smiling, perfect-looking families and couples may feel like salt in your wound. If that's the case, it's okay to acknowledge it. It's okay to not be okay. It's also okay and perfectly normal to feel happy for others while feeling sadness, loss, or grief in your own life. It's okay to realize that it isn't helpful for you to participate in this challenge and that it may even be harmful to you and your mental health right now. It's okay to say nah and check out from social media for a bit. Maybe you're in a space where it would be better to have a more personal practice of gratitude for the next few days. Maybe not. Take care of yourself, acknowledge your feelings, and honor your needs. Today, I'm grateful for people like Papa Osler and my incredible Relief Society president for bringing it to my attention that there are those who are hurting because of this. 
Again, I see you and I love you. And I'm here to chat if you need a listening ear. Great post. Tell us about the picture. And we'll link to this post in the podcast description if it's a public post. It is, yeah. Um, Tell us about, and so people can see this picture. Tell us about the picture that's part of your post, because I've just looked at this picture quite a bit. (laughs) Okay. So um, I have a a shoebox full of old pictures um, because I was not a scrapbooker and uh, this was before chat books. (laughs) And so Sam and I were looking through just trying to find a good picture of my dad. And so we found one. um, He is rocking some early 90s attire with some pretty short shorts and uh, it's my sister's birthday. So it must have been her seventh birthday. Um, So there's a cake and a really vintage looking kitchen. It's really fun. It's like a little time capsule. And then he's holding me as um, a little one-year-old baby. So that's the photo. And I just, I love it. There's an expression of love in his eyes for my sister and I. Yeah. Tell our listeners his name and how long ago he died. I think you mentioned that. And how old you'd be now if you were alive. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, his name was Claire Nielsen. um, And we actually ended up naming our first daughter after him. And so we have a Claire and uh, he died in 2003, um, and so I was 14. Goodness, let's do some math. That was 17 years ago. He'd be 60. He'd be 60. 60, yeah. He died at, at age 43, so he was very young. Yeah, so your dad and we're the same age, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still so young, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a tribute to your dad. And I, there's a side of me that f- believes that he's aware of that kind of a post and your love for him and, and how you, you see and sort of understand some of the difficult things he went through and don't feel, I don't feel a lot of judgment from you um, towards your father. Yeah. Share more of your feelings about your father because I'm sure there were hard times and times that it's probably not, it's complicated. <laughs> it's, yeah, I like that. It's complicated. Um, I, I do hope that, I, I do feel that there's an awareness of the, the things that we, you know, that how we feel of them and, and maybe the things that we share about them. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was hard growing up, you know, in, in that family. I loved my dad. Everybody loved my dad. He was endearing and amazing and just the kind of person that, you automatically just liked when you were around him. He just had that spirit about him. Um, And so I think in some ways that makes it easier definitely to forgive some of the the mistakes that he made and the challenges that he had. And in some ways it's harder because he was so great. So it was hard to, to go through those different periods of times because the highs were really high and awesome. And then the lows were that much lower because you know, we were missing him and we were missing out on those things. And so definitely complicated. Um, he definitely led a hard life and there were a lot of things from his past, from his childhood, um, and his mental health that contributed to just the demons that he faced, I guess, and some of those, um, choices that he made. But ultimately I do just think that his love for people, and that he shared with everyone was very redemptive. And um, yeah, I just, I love my dad and 
miss him a lot. What was the reaction to this post you made? I got a lot of reaction, actually. Um, there were a lot pretty of pretty vulnerable, Autumn. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I after you know, hit that send or submit button, and then what did I just do? What did I just write? What did I just put out there? And I, I've written a few similar posts um, recently, but the reaction is is just so validating. Um, I'm sure there might be some people that are wondering, whoa, <laughs> that was that was a lot to share, but. The people that do come to me and say, you know, I, I can relate or, you know, I'm so grateful that you said something because there were a few people that said, I've been feeling kind of weird about this challenge and I, I couldn't exactly pinpoint why. And then for you to be able to kind of articulate that now I'm, I'm understanding that. And so I think maybe there's a lot of that with social media as well. As you're scrolling through your feed, you might be having anxiety or negative feelings and you don't exactly know why until you realize, oh, it's because I'm comparing my life to everyone's highlight reel, right? And so that was amplified by this. I like the way you found balance here because it's not like you didn't post things about your family and you've got yeah. a beautiful family. So it's not like you didn't talk about that and just talk. You've found balance there that I thought was really Wonderful. Talk about the decision to name a daughter after your dad. Uh, so we found out that we were having a girl yeah. and my middle name is actually Claire named after my dad. And I was a complete daddy's girl. I'm always very close with him. And uh, we were just kind of toying with different names and I can't remember if I brought it up or, or if Sam did. Yeah. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like it, it, it wasn't even a question in my mind, right? I didn't know Claire, um, but I know his daughter and I know how incredible she is and the goodness that she brought to my life. And so this idea of honoring him through our firstborn child made perfect sense to me. And when we talked about it, we both just immediately agreed that it was the right thing to do. And I'm incredibly grateful that Claire is living on through our daughter and, and we get to call her that every day. I'm just wish your, your father, Claire, could hear his son-in-law he's never met before want to name their daughter after him. And the de-shaming effect on his life that I have to feel that creates. I have to think we leave this earth life and creates, bring some of the shame with us. Um, and, and obviously he probably had some of that, you know. And, but what a healing thing for Claire. I'm just struck with that, that you would want to name your daughter after your father, who lived a difficult life at times. Um, but the, all the reasons you said you want to name your daughter after him, to me, just are awesome. I think about the way that we feel about our daughter, and it just leads me to think that Heavenly Father feels that much more about Claire, right? Or my mom, or any of us. Um, and so... Again, 
to bring honor to his name through our daughter is a really sweet thing. Let's um, talk about your mother that also died, um, Jeannie, that died in 2019. Sam, t- introduce Jeannie to us and her story. Yeah, to those that know her, uh, she needs no introduction. <laughs> um, but my mom I was, is, I, sh- I just want to say is, she's an incredibly special person. Um, I remember being a teenager and she would take my friends and I toilet papering. (laughs) She just was that kind of mom that, um, created a safe place for me as a teenager and all of my friends. Um, she was the kind of mom that just loved you no matter what. Um, she was the kind of mom that taught you to accept and love people, um, in any state, right? No matter who they were, what they were, or what experiences they had had, they deserved love, just like you deserve love. And uh, she she wore a smile pretty much 99% of the time. Um, but she was also deeply troubled with depression. And it started when I was a young kid. And I... I remember instances where I'd be walking past her room and I would just hear her sobbing and would go in and ask her what was wrong. And she didn't have an answer oftentimes. And other times she did. And the rhetoric was this idea that she just wasn't enough as a mother. She wasn't enough as a spouse. She wasn't enough as a human being. And I remember just wrapping my arms around her at a really young age and telling her that she was everything to us and that we needed her so much. And I think it just didn't speak truth to her because she had internalized a truth in her mind that she wasn't enough. And it was this hurdle that she just, I think, had a really hard time seeing beyond and and at an early age, I remember she would she would leave sticky notes uh, on the the mirror in their bedroom, my parents' bedroom, with my doctor's information and and different things. And I remember wondering, what is she doing? Like this just seems so bizarre to me as a young kid. And it wasn't too long after that that she had uh, attempted suicide for the first time. How old were you? I think it was a ten or eleven. I was pretty young. Were you aware that's what had happened? Yes. It, okay. it, I knew that she was sad and struggling in life, and when it had happened, um, I was aware of what had happened, as was my older brother. Um, but my my dad, I think for him it showed weakness and he tried to really keep us from it, right? He tried to shield us from what had happened. And so, you know, he'd say things like, oh, mom just is really sick and she's in the hospital. And um, we knew exactly what was going on. And that was really hard for us to not be able to talk, I think, openly about what was going on. Um, But my mom was really good about that when she would come home or when we would visit her of just being able to talk pretty simply about what was, what was occurring. 
in her life. Um, and and this, this kind of went on for a lot of years where uh, she would be healthy for six to 12 months, at least what seemed healthy to us. And then all of a sudden uh, she would uh, she would be really, really depressed again. And, and it was a really hard thing for us as kids because, uh, we felt worried all of the time about mom, you know, is there something in her life that's going to cause her to, to struggle? Um, you'd get a phone call that felt like a goodbye phone call and then her phone would be shut off and you couldn't track where she was. So we would all uh, you know, start searching every neighborhood, every church, every hotel, try to look at, you know, credit cards and, and where purchases were made to try and, and locate her. And we were successful a number of times. Um, and, and I, through some of those times, I felt a tremendous amount of guidance, you know, from our father in heaven. And she would always she, you know, after an attempt and and coming back to health, she would thank us because she said, I want to live, but something inside me tells me I shouldn't live because I'm not enough. Right. And, and it was heartbreaking to me to hear that from her because she was full of life. And I, I look at our kids and, and, she was grandma, you know, she was the greatest grandma on the planet earth. And, and they were just thrilled every time they could see her because of, of her overwhelming amount of love for them. So it was, it was really hard. I mean, and, and after she had passed away, um, you know, we were going through some of her things and we found some writings and maybe you could talk about that autumn. Oh, it was, so we did. We found, she, I guess she was writing a book because she kind of outlined these things in chapters. Um, and so I started reading through it. And if I, I didn't have a highlighter, but if I had that phrase, I am not enough. I mean, it was just repeated so many times. It was this recurring theme. And I brought it up with Sam and he confirmed that this was something that she would say a lot. And I, I do, I think that she allowed that lie to just, I mean, it was almost, almost like inception and you know, it was planted deep down in her psyche and she allowed it to become truth to her. And, um, she felt a lot of shame, which was then cyclical because she would attempt suicide. And then, and especially, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there, there wasn't a lot of understanding. People didn't talk about these things. So I think there was even more of that. It had gotten better more towards the end of her life, you know, as social media and different things, um, more resources were available. But for a long time, I think she felt a lot of shame. I think she felt very broken and that she was beyond redemption. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just so sad because anyone that knew her could see that she really was an incredible person with so much to give. And I think at times she did recognize that too. She saw what she had and she she tried to reach out to others, even in her brokenness. You know, she volunteered with this organization called NAMI, um, who they try to educate about suicide. And 
she worked as, um, in the medical field, you know, holding the hands of sick cancer patients and she fostered countless children. I mean, she was just always trying to help others around her, Um, but she couldn't, she didn't have love for herself. Yeah. she, she So she really couldn't feel it from anyone else either. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she was, she was incredibly service oriented. You know, Autumn brings up the point that we had foster children in our home from when I was just a little kid until I was 18. And, uh, and she, she, you know, these were, these were kids that were struggling in life that she knew how to love. Um, you know, you talk about this idea of the wounded healer a lot on your podcast. Um, something that Autumn and I love to reference and it was amazing how many people she helped through depression and suicide um, because she had been there. She had those experiences. She knew what it felt like to feel like nothing, to feel like she shouldn't exist. Um, and even through her brokenness and her pain, she was able to reach outside of that and help people live, Wow, which is a, a, a beautiful thing looking at, especially now. Do you mind if I share a quote from Elder Renlund? Please. So Elder Renlund actually talked about suicide prevention. um, And he said this, there's an old sectarian notion that suicide is a sin and that someone who commits suicide is banished to hell forever. That is totally false. I believe the vast majority of cases will find that these individuals have lived heroic lives and that suicide will not be a defining characteristic of their eternities. Um, Share your thoughts on that, Sam. It's truth. Um, when, it, when I look back and reflect on the life my mom lived and I think about uh, the pain that she endured, um, she was a hero, right? She, she struggled but she was able to give me, my brothers, my dad, and countless other people a tremendous amount of love, even though she, she was pained by depression um, to the point that it eventually took her life. So Elder Renlin, I mean, that was a gift to me to read those words. I mean, even as we were driving over here and, and talking about that specific quote. I'm like, Autumn, can you read that to me again? And as she reads it to me, I just instantly feel happy knowing that um, an apostle said that my mom's suicide is not a defining characteristic of her eternity. What defines her eternity was how she lived and the love that she gave and the understanding that she had for people who didn't feel understood. She Uh, She was a Christ-like individual um, and she struggled with the church. While I was on my mission, uh, she decided to leave the church and coming home, it was a hard thing for me to understand. Sure. Um, And and as I look back on myself, I'm like, man, I wish I had responded differently. I wish I had just shown more love rather than um, disappointment at times. And I think the work that you're doing um, would have 
would have it just made her so incredibly happy because she, she always looked after those who felt misunderstood. She loved the LGBTQ community. Wow. She loved anybody on the fringes, anybody marginalized um, and tried to instill that within her children. And I, I think she would be totally honored to see us sitting here today talking about her life, Claire's life. Um, and, and this idea that uh, everyone's enough, right? Everybody deserves love, regardless of, of who they are or what they are or what they've done. They're children of a heavenly mother and a heavenly father. And I'm incredibly grateful that she taught me that. I'd like you both to talk to people that are suicidal right now. What would you say to them? You've already said some really wonderful things, both yeah. of you, but just talk to listeners that are suicidal. I would just say, I love you. I might not know you, but I have absolute love for you. And I know this life can be tremendously difficult. And I know that maybe the thought of not being here can feel better than the thought of being here. But it's okay to feel that from time to time. But you have a lot to give and your experiences will help many people around you as you grit through the pain that you're going through. And that very simply put, you are more than enough because you are divine. And I honor your experiences. And you're, you're children of, of heavenly parents. Thanks, Sam. Autumn? <sighs> I... I absolutely agree with everything that Sam just said. Um, and I think coming from a place where we did recently lose somebody so very important in our lives to suicide. Um, you know, I've, I've talked with a, a friend who um, has shared with me that she has been suicidal at times and that sometimes the only thing keeping her here, um, is her family, you know, the love of, of those or, or just the fear of, of what it would do to those who she might leave behind. And I guess I, I can definitely relate to that because it was excruciating to lose Sam's mom and she had so much love to offer and was so wonderful. And we miss her still to this day. It hurts and it, it's never going to go away. You know, seeing, my husband lose um, his his first home in this world, his first true love, his his mother, and um, to see my kids, you know, not be able to grow up. We have very young children. Um, when she passed, we actually had our we had just had our third, and so she was only uh, six weeks old when when uh, her attempt happened. Um, just to know that, that, that they don't, that they won't be able to grow up with her in this life. I, I have every 
bit of hope and I feel very confident that we will see her again in the next life. But it's, it's painful. It's, it's painful because she was so wonderful. And so I guess to those who are feeling that, I think if that's what's getting you through right now is just that, you know, the thought of others, I think that that's okay for a time, but you also need to know that there are so many resources out there and, um, that there is help, you know? And so maybe we can link to the suicide prevention hotline and, and so you can call. And if you're not comfortable calling, you can send a text and you can send me a message. Um, I'm not a professional, but I can, I can help you. There are so many resources and I've actually struggled with depression in my life and, uh, with the help of therapy and, um, figuring out some medical conditions that I have and working with doctors to try and get those things. I know what it's like to be in a very dark place. And I can now say with confidence that, that, that there is hope and there can be healing through both, of course, the medical routes. And I know that Elder Holland talked about this, you know, if, if you were sick, with diabetes or a heart issue, you, you would go to a doctor and you would pray, you know, so with the combination of beautiful modern medicine and the increased understanding that we have of the brain and how things work and all of the resources that we have. And, you know, with that knowledge that you are a child of heavenly parents who love you, that you have worth. I think in the church we have, we confuse worthiness with worth. Um, and that's something that I think plagued my dad a lot in his life. Uh, He felt worthless because, you know, maybe he wasn't worthy to attend the temple or wasn't worthy to do certain things in his life to have the Melchizedek priesthood. Anyway, um, just this idea that your, your worth is not attached to your actions. It's not attached to anything you have worth inherently because of who you are. You are loved as a child of heavenly parents. I think that's really powerful to recognize um, and to just know that you are enough and to not let that lie yeah. that you're not enough drag you down. You absolutely are. Because it's simply not true. It's not true. Yeah. My, uh, my dad, when he was a kid, had this dream and he was on earth and the, the world was just falling apart and his brothers and sister and his parents were all being lifted up into heaven and he was just stuck on earth. And he's never been a real active member of the church. He considers himself a Jack Mormon. And um, it's the same idea, I think, that some seem more worthy than us of God's love, um, which is, you know, just to quote Elder Renlin again on a different context, it's totally false. Like we are all deserving of God's love because we're God's children. And right? you think about the love you have for your children and it just amplify that. I don't think Heavenly Father wants to see a single one of his children not come back to him. I, I think, listeners, what Elder Renlund taught about suicide, I mean, that is what the church teaches now. If there's ever been things we've said in the past, Elder Renlund 
<clears throat> ended all of those discussions with the things that Sam is quoting. And that is our doctrine, our policy, our teaching with what Elder Renlund's taught in those videos. And he didn't just do that. I mean, I don't know this firsthand. Elder Renlund just didn't decide to do those videos. They were, all the content there was carefully um, discussed by the senior leaders of the church. I feel confident in saying that. And that that is the church's position as Sam and Autumn are sharing. So it's very powerful, very healing. And it's part of our beautiful restored doctrine and this beautiful plan of salvation um, that is um, wonderful. Talk about, um, you've got three kids mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you've seen some of the cultural, I think your mother's situation, Jeannie, sounds like some cultural I'm never enough plus some real serious depression <laughs> that neither were very helpful for her. And it may be more complicated than that. But... Um, what are you doing as parents to create a feeling with your children that they're enough? And that's sort of you helping other parents to create this feeling that they're always enough. Just share with our listeners what you're doing in your own family. I love that question. Um, I tell my kids constantly how much I love them. I mean, I'm obsessed with them. And... And I think we just need to hear that. We need to hear that we're cared for and that we're loved. And with our kids, we, we try to focus on a lot of different things. Um, how smart they are, you know, how hard they work, um, those types of things. But, but ultimately, we, we try to teach them uh, where they came from. And that's from heavenly parents. And... And we don't just try to teach them that they came from Heavenly Father. We also teach them they came from Heavenly Mother. Why? Before Autumn, my mom was the most important person in my entire life. And she taught me the things that I needed to learn to be in a relationship with Autumn, right? To show my spouse the kind of love that she deserves. And when I think about my heavenly parents, I think my heavenly mother just loves me so, so, so much. And historically, I haven't heard that enough. And Autumn and I talk about that a lot. And we, we loved your podcast with those three young women. Yeah. Um, I just thought it'd be such a great talk to give in church. <laughs> to just talk about Heavenly Mother and, and how much she cares for us and, and how much she wants us to be good parents to our children and how much she wants us to communicate love. Again, I agree <laughs> with everything you said. Um, so many good things. Um, I think it's important to note that Sam's mom didn't really have a dad in her life. She, I mean, she, she didn't, she absolutely did not have a father figure and, um, just really had a lot of abuse and neglect, um, early in her life. And the same goes for my dad, my mom as well. And so it has been really important for us. We feel like our parents definitely gave us more and better than they had been given. And, 
we want to continue that because there definitely is this generational trauma, you know, that starts these vicious cycles of abuse and neglect. And um, we feel like our parents were able to give us so much in the way of love, even though they did have their struggles. And we want to continue that tradition. Um, And so absolutely the gospel truths, those core beliefs that we have, um, you know, of having these loving heavenly parents and a savior. I feel like we just have this heavenly family (laughs) that's on our side, you know, they're in our corner and they're there for us and they're cheering us on and they have perfect empathy and understanding of the things that we're going through and perfect love for us as well. Neil A. Maxwell called heavenly father, omni loving. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's, he's omnipotent, omniscient, and most importantly, omni-loving. And I know that the same can be said of our Heavenly Mother as well. So I think definitely teaching our children these things. Um, and then also, you know, I'm going to get vulnerable again. Uh, after Sam's mom passed away, our six-year-old, um, Claire, who we've talked about already in this podcast, she started struggling. She's always been kind of an anxious child. And I've just attributed that to the fact that she's my kid and she's so much like me and I've always been anxiety prone. Um, It really just kind of came to a head after Sam's mom died and she started struggling to go to sleep. Um, She was kind of equating it with death in her mind. And she started struggling to go to school, even though she loved school and gymnastics, even though she loved gymnastics. And it was just interfering with her ability to have a happy life as this little girl. And there was, I know, we just had a new baby as well. There was just a lot that kind of all hit at once for her. And so in exasperation, we turned to this wonderful child therapist. Wonderful. um, Amazing. Yeah. uh, Who did therapy with her through play. And so she went for probably about 10 weeks over the course of the summer. And I was able to sit in on these therapy sessions. And I think the sweet therapist there knew that this postpartum mom who had just gone through this really awful loss in life and just, you know, in this state that I'm in worried about my six-year-old as well, that I needed the same things that she was teaching. So she was basically kind of just giving us both tools to work through our anxiety and uh, mental health. And it was so enlightening. And I remember having the thought that every single child should be given this information. Every, you know, we we talked a lot about emotional intelligence and validating emotions and that, you know, there are no good or bad emotions. We we are humans and we have emotions and, and how to have the tools to work through these things, right? Not to shove it down inside somewhere so that it can just like come out later when you don't expect it and affect you, but to really work through things. Um, and so that was very eye opening for me too. And, kind of taught me a new style of parenting, but really it, it kind of just comes back to what you preach too. It's listen, learn and love, have empathy, validate feelings, you know, be aware of our feelings. And I mean, that's obviously there are more tools and there's a lot more to it, but that's what it is at the core. And so that has also kind of been we've been attempting to, how we've been attempting to parent our children, going back to your original question. And we're not perfect at it, but it is this guiding principle now. And, um, something that I really would love to see more awareness around, you know, these, 
these therapy tools that have been proven scientifically to be so effective that really are just rooted in love. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that that we've learned, I think again by listening to your podcast, but also just through experiences, if we can if we can show our children that kind of love and give them the tools they need to be successful in this life, I think past generations will be healed. Wow. By being able to realize, wow, like my grandchildren are doing well. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. They're happy, they're thriving, they're successful. Um, they're demonstrating pure love. Right? Those, I think those kind of things would be incredibly, incredibly healing to someone beyond the grave to see that. Yeah, I, I actually had a friend who is not of our faith that had shared that idea with me, this idea that she also kind of had a, a childhood where, you know, there was some addiction and different things from her parents. And she talked about how she had this feeling. She does believe in, in eternity and she believes in, you know, the eternal nature of souls. And that as she healed, worked to heal herself and worked to give her own daughters, you know, more love and compassion, that she was not only helping to heal. I think it's it's easy for us to imagine, yeah, we're, we're helping those, my children and their children and my posterity after me, but it actually works the opposite direction as well that we're showing perhaps, you know, Sam is showing maybe his mom in a way, the ways that she should have been loved. Cause as we hold our precious, we have two daughters wow. and as he loves them, I mean, completely. And as much as any dad could, he's such an incredible dad she's realizing that, that she should have been extended that same love. And that didn't happen in this life. Um, but it is healing for her and also healing, like he said, to see that her kids and grandkids are are doing well. I just think that, that, that the healing goes and it extends in both directions. Yeah. And I love that idea. I love that idea. You guys are kind of taking us to the 40,000 foot level of our doctrine. <laughs> I've shared this story before, but I just, for listeners who haven't heard it, I remember as a singles ward bishop, a young man who had served in Afghanistan as part of his military assignment, you know, bombed Taliban. And he knew that innocent people as part of his um, assignment had died because of his work. And he knew on one level that he was square with God, square with the country because he had done, but he knew that innocent women and children had died. And he was just tormented by that and just a great young man. And as I, he asked for a blessing, I had no words, you know, before I laid my hands on his head on how to reconcile this. But then these words came into my mind that sort of brought me to the 40,000 foot level of our doctrine, which you're doing. And it was this idea that, and this is what the Lord had me tell him, is that no one's eternal possibilities have changed because of what happened in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly mortal possibilities had changed. We all knew that. But, and that's why I love the way you see your parents that have gone Jeannie and Claire, and their continued role in your family's life and the way you honor them and talk about them and and have this way of seeing them as eternal beings that struggled with things that other people didn't struggle with. And the way you're healing them through 
naming children after them and unconditionally loving their grandchildren, your children, and that they're aware of that and that brings them joy. And they know these grandchildren and they know any more that are coming your way. And I just think that's the beautiful restored doctrine of loving heavenly parents and this plan of salvation. And mortality sucks. <laughs> and it can be really Amen. painful. Yeah. And you know yes. that. Yeah. And give thanks. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot of things to give thanks for, but there's really difficult things sometimes. Absolutely. And I think when we can talk about them, we can help heal each other. Talk anywhere you, anything you want to talk about. I want to make sure to share your feelings on no sad heaven. Okay. And Actually, I, that's where I wanted to go. Yeah. And I'd love, <laughs> and then I'd love to have Sam, who serves in a bishopric, has felt impressed at times to talk about sort of complicated stuff as part of his assignment and, and just share a little bit about that and why you're doing that and the feedback you're getting. Okay. Okay. So I'm so glad you said that because I was feeling like I wanted to share this. Um, so after my dad died, I, I grew up, I think we've mentioned this, that my family wasn't always very active. Actually, we probably went to church a lot less than we actually did go. So my understanding of the gospel kind of came from going to seminary just because that's where all my friends were. <laughs> and then, you know, on and off attending here and there. Um, and so I, I had a lot of questions on how to interpret some of these things, you know, what, what did become of my dad, who was a really great person, but who also made some really big mistakes. And, um, you know, what, what was, what was it like for him on the other side? Was he living in quote unquote paradise or in quote unquote prison or just, I, I was tormented by these ideas or tormented by this idea that you've, um, mentioned, uh, of sad heaven you know, is it worth it for me to put in a lot of effort to try and reach heaven, you know, the celestial kingdom, if I'm not going to be with the people that matter most to me? Because I really am one of the only people in my family that is, you know, an active member of this religion. Um, so I prayed about it. I think I was about 19 um, at the time, and I just opened my heart to Heavenly Father, and I prayed to know, I really just wanted to know where my dad was at if he was okay, you know, what kind of state he was in, I guess, on the other side. And um, I had been studying in the Book of Mormon and opened my scriptures, and I happened to be on Alma chapter 36 that night. And I was reading from my dad's set of scriptures. Wow. Um, he had always loved the gospel, but had never really been active, I think mostly because he didn't feel like he had a place because he had made, you know, he had just relapsed so many times. And anyway, so I had this set of scriptures. He didn't mark it much, but he did mark this section um, with a green highlighter. <laughs> and so I I just, like, I felt the Spirit just right away, right? So I start reading. And not knowing a ton about the Scriptures, I wasn't even sure what I was getting into, but I just kind of felt like this was, you know, this was something here. And so you read about Alma, and you read about how he was tormented with the pains of hell. I mean, he felt that. In Alma chapter 36, he describes how he was just— in a pretty dark place. And then he caught hold of, you know, this idea of the Savior. He remembered what his father had taught him about it and let the atonement work in him and through him. And that he came out on the other side and and as 
exquisite was his pain, that was how exquisite his joy was, right? And so just kind of paraphrasing these scriptures right now, um, I felt the Spirit tell me that that is kind of what my dad experienced, that because he, you mentioned this earlier, I do think that when people go to the other side, especially from their own actions, that there is probably shame and guilt that they take with them. That doesn't just end um, but that I do think that there is that opportunity on the other side for them to work through those things. The atonement continues to work and, and that once they're able to heal, and I think a lot of it has to do with forgiving themselves too, which sometimes is the hardest thing to do. But once they're able to do that, that, that they can feel that redemptive joy and then they can become an Alma, the younger, who goes about teaching and healing and, and reaching the unreachable and teaching the unteachable because they know what it is to be wounded. And as you've talked about, they can go into those deserts and lead people out because they've been there. Um, and so I've, I've felt that for a decade. And then there have been some recent talks in general conference. Um, and maybe we can, I don't know, it's presumptuous of maybe we can link to these two because we've found them particularly healing for both of us with our parents. Yep. Um, one of them, uh, is, was from elder Robert C. Gay in October of 2018. Um, taking upon ourselves the name of Christ is the title. He talks about his sister and he talks about how he's at the bedside of his dying sister. And he had some ideas about her. She wasn't very active in her life. She kind of led this troubled life and he goes to give her this kind of, this final blessing and the spirit rebuked him. And um, he quotes here, during that final evening with my sister, I believe God was asking me, can't you see that everyone around you is a sacred being? And he talks about how the spirit showed him. She was, yes, she was troubled and she had some hard things. She had some things that she went through that you can't even begin to understand. But She was also an incredible mother to her four children. She was an incredible daughter to her mother in her dying days. And he was able, his eyes were opened to see the way that God sees and the way that our Heavenly Mother sees and our Savior sees. Um, And the other talk that I felt was extremely validating for something that I already felt and knew in my heart, but it was really great hearing it from an apostle, um, was actually just in this year, in April of 2020. Um, and it was from uh, James R. Rasband. And it was Saturday morning. It was the third talk. So, I mean, this is like a heavy hitter in the lineup. This is, you know, Saturday morning. Um, and he talks about Alma. So this one really like spoke to me again with my experience with my dad. And he talks about how, how could Alma feel joy knowing that he had led so many people away from the church and, you know, into spiritual death, essentially. And then some of those people probably died having walked away from the light or sinned against the light, as he says it in his talk. How could he feel redemptive joy knowing that he had a hand in that if there wasn't a chance for their redemption? And then he lays it out beautifully that there is. And so I think sometimes in our doctrine, we think that, oh, if particularly if somebody has been given light in this life and then they die in their sin, so to speak, or they have sinned against the light and and then they die in that, that 
there's not really a chance for them to be in the celestial kingdom or, you know, to be with us in heaven. And it is a sad heaven. But I love that he makes it very clear that that's not the case and that Alma could not have felt redemptive joy unless he knew that those who he had led away also could be redeemed and taught and healed on the other side as well. And so I have this testimony that the work that we do here to heal and help people is very much continued in the next life and is probably even easier to do <laughs> in some ways because, you know, people are have gone through the experience of death and they're there and they're willing to listen. And I think that when Sam and I see his mom and my dad again, we will see them in a glorious state where they have become Alma the Youngers. They have become those wounded healers and have really realized that potential and that their pain that they have felt in this life has now become a superpower for helping others in the next life. Yeah. And, and I think to go back to Elder Gay and his talk, like, I think it's one of the most beautiful ideas to say to people, can't you see that you're a sacred being? And I think if I, if I could actually go back and, and answer the question that you asked earlier, what would you say to people who are struggling with suicide? Mm-hmm. Can't you see that you're a sacred being? Right? We all are. It's in our nature, right? So, yeah, I, again, I, I agree with everything Autumn said too. We, we, we have opportunities uh, even after death to improve our lives. I sincerely believe that. Talk about your assignment in the bishopric. Both of you, you know, kind of know both worlds, the world of not being fully active in the church and having lots of family members not active in the church. And now obviously you're active in the church and you kind of bring a perspective that's probably helpful. Talk about how you're using that perspective in your bishopric talks. Yeah. Well, I remember just coming home from a mission and you know you're all fired up and and uh, I, I felt like I had kind of goggles on and I think I mean I, I am incredibly grateful to Autumn because um, she sees things I think she sees more than I do right and she's expanded my vision in a lot of really really good ways um, and and as I've, as I've started to really kind of lean into this, and you might say lean into the gray a little bit, right, of the gospel, um, it's, it's actually strengthened my testimony. And it's, it's given me a, a greater perspective and a lot more empathy and, and sympathy for everybody. Um, serving the bishopric has been a great blessing for me um, because you have opportunity to, to interact with a lot of different people. And it's been really interesting to me how many people, I mean, I, I mentioned this to you before we started the podcast, how you're, you're giving a temple recommend interview and people ask if it's okay to support their gay brother, right? Or uh, somebody in the community who's, you know, who's different than they are. Um, to even just support the LGBTQ community as a whole. And I always love to answer that question because I'm like, support them, love them. Like they're your brother, they're your sister, they're your family. 
Um, and, and their choices are theirs, right? And, and they are just as important to Heavenly Father as you are and to Heavenly Mother. And so it's been really a, a sweet thing to have those conversations with members. And it's almost like in some cases, a light bulb just turns on and they're like, that's okay. Like, I'm like, yes, like it's, it's perfectly okay. And, and it's encouraged, right? You talk about being an ally of the LGBTQ community. And I love that because it just means that we're, we're honoring our covenants by mourning those with those that mourn, comforting those that stand in need of comfort um, and being a witness of Christ, right? And being a witness of Christ means being like Christ and trying to extend the kind of love that he would if he were here. Um, being a witness of Christ means being like Christ. That's pretty good, Sam. <laughs> it's, I, I believe that that's true. And, and as I've had opportunities to give talks, um, I've patterned a lot of them after things that, that you teach and, and talks that you've given. Um, and, and it's always a, a really neat thing to finish the talk and to get a flood of texts or emails. I mean, 50, 60, 70 people reaching out because these things just aren't being talked about, right? That, uh, that, that love is like the absolute key and answer of the gospel, right? Um, so it, it's just been a really neat, neat blessing uh, to, to be vulnerable and to see that in return from people. And to see that in return. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said this phrase, and you, you understand this, but, you know, I've, we've created this sometimes this false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, we have to stop loving some of his children. And, and it is kind of like a light bulb. Once you sort of let go of that and just realize that, you know, all our doctrine is unto the least of these, you know, t- it's all about serving the marginalized, <laughs> serving yeah. everybody, and mm-hmm. and just leaving any judging the Savior. That a lot of people are wired that way, and so when you give them kind of permission to do that, a light bulb kind of goes off, and they're just relieved because they want to serve all of Heavenly Father's children and bear, mourn, and comfort. And sometimes we just haven't created a way culturally that people feel okay doing that. And I just think we're learning and doing better. Yeah, I agree. And it and love is. You know, Elder Uchtdorf has some great comments about love, the healing balm that, you know, brings us together and heals divisions, and I believe that. Other things you'd love to share with our listeners? I could sit and listen to Autumn talk all the time. (laughs) She's very wise. (laughs) Is that an invitation for me to speak? Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to think if there was... Anything else that we had talked about that oh. we wanted to share? Yeah, I, I just think this idea of um, being a leader in the church, whether you're, uh, you know, you're working with the youth or adults, I think, I think the title of your book is the pattern in which we should lead to, to listen first, uh, to learn as much as we can, and just to show as much love as possible. I think that's sound advice for any leader in the church. Absolutely. And I think going back to talking about, you know, our 
role as trying to be like the savior. He was this and is, is this perfect being who has perfect understanding of what we've been through. And we've been taught that. And I, I don't know that we, I, I don't know that I personally stopped to think about how I, it's hard to even wrap your brain around that. Um, you know, how perfect his understanding is even better than our understanding of ourselves at times, but he knows what it is, what each person, each path that they've had to walk, you know, he's literally walked all of the miles in their shoes. He is the wounded healer. And he, he is the yeah. wounded healer. And as imperfect mortals trying to follow him and, and, and be disciples, we, we can't fully understand the way that he does. But I think there are two things that we can do. I think that we can pray for that understanding, for an increase of his vision of, you know, how to view people. And then, like you said, I think that we can listen. And I don't know that, I think that's something that we've, a lot of people have forgotten how to do in our world, especially lately, um, is to just listen to the, the experiences and perspectives of others and extend that love as our Savior would. I think that's really important. It's something that I'm working on, trying to do with everyone, and it comes easier with some people than with others, admittedly. Um, but I really do think that if, if we were all just trying to be more like him and see more as he sees, it would change the world. That's great. Any thoughts, Sam, you'd like to share in closing? Yeah, no no matter who you are, what you've done, or where you are, you are enough. And you have heavenly parents who who love you more than you could possibly understand. That's great. Um, there's just been a great spirit here. I hope you can sense it, listeners. It's kind of late at night at our home. Not too late at night, but it's just been a great spirit. So I hope you're feeding that spirit. And and Sam and Autumn are just teaching the doctrine of Christ, and it's incredibly healing. I am going to read the whole Elder Uchtdorf quote that I referenced earlier. Um, <clears throat> because love is the great commandment, it ought to be at the center of of all and everything we do in our family and our church callings and our livelihood. Love is the healing bomb that repairs rifts in personal and family relationships. It is the bond that unites families, communities, and nations. Love is the power that initiates friendship, tolerance, civility, and respect. It is the source that overcomes divisiveness and hate. Love is the fire that warms our lives with unparalleled joy and divine hope. Love should be our walk and talk. And um, I've, as I'm looking at the book I wrote, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, I'm realizing the very thing I closed with <laughs> is um, the words of a Latter-day Saint hymn that you're familiar with, listeners, love one another. These are the last words in the book I wrote, as I have loved you, love one another. This new commandment, love one another. By this by this shall men know you are my, dis my disciples if you have loved one for another. And Sam and Autumn are teaching that in their family and their ward community, and it's deeply healing and people are drawn to it. So I'm so thankful for them being on the podcast. 
Claire Nielsen, is that your dad's name, Nielsen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and Jeannie Duke. Duke. Yeah. Yes. Um, I just, I, I hope somehow you're aware of, of your children and your grandchildren and the legacy for good you've created. And I hope that their lives are helping to heal your lives. And I'm hoping that at the 40,000 foot level and where Elder Gaze talk about his sister, that you're able to see your influence for good in so many lives and that you will continue to be healed. And all of those that have left and those of us that are here that have family members that are left, it's our joint prayer that they will see who they are. And it's our joint prayer that as Autumn and Sam spoke to those of you that are suicidal or feeling you're not enough, that you will feel you're enough and you're needed here and that there are better days ahead for you and you contribute in ways that are important and needed. So I love their words to you. And so this is Sam and Autumn Duke and Richard Osler signing off for another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>